friend with us today who has been here a number of times before, and we always enjoy him, Pastor Ted Branshaw. Father, we get caught so often in the routine and the traditions of Christianity as we know it here in the United States. We get into our routines, our methods, and sometimes, Lord, we can go through our day, through our services, through these times of your word, and not even fully recognize that we are speaking to the creator of the universe the giver of life, the God of all creation, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the just God. Lord, when the disciples came back and rejoiced that the demons were subject to them in your name, you said don't rejoice about that, but rejoice over the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You are a mighty God. Lord, forgive us that as a generation we have brought you to our level that we have minimized who you are and who we're not. Lord, thank you for bringing us to a place today where we can hear the word that you are bringing forth. Help me to get out of the way. Lord,
Lord, I'm amazed that you'll even use me. So don't let these words be mine, but let them be yours. Your word, your heart, only brought to pass, only brought to power by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, I, I'm probably familiar with most of you that are here. Uh, my wife and I are over in uh, near Alpena, actually Lachine, Long Rapids area. We've been there for about six years. We're not pastoring anymore. We pastored out in Iowa for 17 years. Our children are all out there. They married Iowa girls, and we have Iowa grandchildren, but uh, we live on the river and uh, over near Alpena. And uh, we are very involved. Our lives really are about Christ and about the ministry of the Word. We do counseling. We started Northern Michigan Christian Counseling. And then I'm also uh, very involved in world missions, and I teach on the ministry of the helper, which is a very unique subject. If you've never studied it, I'm sure there's tapes around here someplace and probably even some books that I've written. I was in India uh, for the eighth time. Uh, back in February, I was there for three weeks. We did three pastors conferences. By the time we got to the third conference, we had 580 people in a building that seated about 200. So we literally were packed in there. People all around the outside. We said, "Where did where did all these people come from?" He said, "They came from as much as 500 kilometers away." because they heard what you're teaching and they said nobody teaches this stuff. And so we were very privileged uh, to be a part of that. And then I taught in the college there for a week and I had an absolute blast with the students. And um, we've heard from the students that they are teaching the material. We sent them all copies of the book on the internet. They're passing it around. Uh, they're teaching seminars. We just had our contact in Uganda do a seminar over the last couple of days. We saw pictures this morning and we were blown away by the size of the crowd because this word, this understanding that ministry isn't just something that happens in the pulpit, but ministry is what we're all involved with we're all a part of if we're a part of the body of Christ we're in the ministry and it takes every part of the body to fulfill the great commission that thing that God has called us to uh, the thing that takes up a lot of our time here is when I'm not on the mission field and I wish I was there uh, a lot more than I am able to but uh, my times are in God's hands, is uh, counseling, the Northern Michigan Christian Counseling. And, uh, of course, it's non-denominational. It's a nonprofit organization. The money goes to um, our missions work, uh, working with pastors and, and uh, materials and whatever. But we get people from all types of Christian backgrounds. And I'm, I'm not even going to say all types of Christians, or I'm not even going to say all Christians. In, in our 
experience working with, Christ, with uh, counseling, what, what I do in the very first, what we do, Vicki and I do it together, what I do in the very first counseling session is I let people come in and uh, just kind of share their story. I have them fill out a lot of paperwork before I see them. But then they, I let them tell their story. And sometimes I got to just stand back a, a little bit and go, now you understand this is Christian counseling. And we're going to be using the Bible here as our fine. Do you understand? I just want to make sure that this is what you want, is Christian counseling. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is what we want. I always end up then asking in the first session, can you tell me, please, what, just so I can establish a baseline, could you tell me, please, what is a Christian? And then I just shut up. And I, I let them talk. And do you know that out of all the people that we've ever met with, I have maybe had three people that have been able to tell me, this is what a Christian is, and this is why you want to be one. Because I always follow up the first question with, well, if you can't tell me that, tell me why I would want to be a Christian. Well, so you can go to heaven. I say, well, I'm, I don't know about going to heaven. I, I kind of feel like I have heaven right where I'm at. Well, so you can have a great marriage. I say, I have a great marriage. I've been married almost 38 years. Well, so that you, you uh, don't have to go to hell. You can be forgiven. I say, well, I'm not that bad of a guy. I've never raped or I've never murdered. So tell me why I want to be a Christian. And do you know that most people can't? And if I could boil down what most people say, they tell me it's so that I can go to heaven. And that heaven is my goal. That's, that's what we want to do is we want to go to heaven. I say, friend, if that's what you think Christianity is, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. I said, let me, let me give you an example. Let's say that the field outside here is on fire. And the only safe place for me to get so that I don't get burned up is on the roof. And so uh, uh, I got to get on the roof. And as uh, you can see, I can't jump that high. And I'm not a spider. I can't climb walls. And that fire is coming. And I, I, I just don't know what to do. How am I going to get on the roof? Because the roof is the only place of safety. Just like you said, the, the goal is heaven. How do I get on the roof? And they say, well, uh, eventually... They'll tell me, well, you need a ladder. I say, ah, a ladder. If I only had a ladder, I could get on the roof and be safe. That's what I'll do is I'll get a ladder. And I say, you want to get to heaven, and you know the only way for you to get there is Jesus. So the, you don't want Jesus. You want a ladder. You're using Jesus like a ladder. That is a utilitarian gospel, and that is no gospel at all. Because the goal is not heaven, the goal is God. The goal is Jesus Christ. Do you know that when God created uh, in the very beginning, and he created, and I don't have time to go into this, but he was perfectly content before he created us. 
God is the original small group. He's self-contained, self-satisfied, self-glorified, has absolute need of nothing. Why did He create? He created simply to display His glory. He decided, I I want to display my glory for the first five days of creation. He uh, stood back and He said, it is good. This is good. Sixth day of creation, he created man. He stood back and said, no, he didn't create man. He formed man. That's a totally different word. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. I used to tell my boys, God went out into his, his sandbox and he formed man. And what he had now was a, a dirt mound. And then he breathed into him his very essence And man became a living being. And man knew that he existed. He had self-awareness. He was aware of himself. You take a cat and hold it up in front of a mirror, it might hiss at itself. A puppy might bark because they don't have self-awareness. We have self-awareness. We can know without anyone ever having told us That there is a God because the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has placed within every man, every one of us, a sense of eternity. You ever run into somebody who says, I'm I'm an atheist? They're a liar. You get anywhere near them when they're close to taking their last breath. And you'll find out how much of an atheist they are because in the heart of every man, God has placed a sense of eternity. So Adam knew that God existed. And he also looked around and he could give glory to God and say, wow, that is beautiful. And you and I find ourselves doing that when you're on the shore of one of the lakes or you're looking out over the field and the sky turns all purple and you just go, Whoa, God, that is gorgeous. Even the unsaved will stand back. Do you understand that that response of saying how gorgeous that is, that's called worship. Worship is not listening and participating in what's on the screen. Worship is a response to an encounter with the living God. And when you and I see that beauty, we can't, it doesn't even make it, you can have a total heathen, but when he sees it and takes note and go, whoa, you got to see the northern lights are incredible tonight. They, they don't have to believe in God, but something on the inside of them sees that bigness, that excellence, and that beauty, and out of them then comes praise. That's the response to it. But here's what concerns me. The gospel's not getting us to heaven. The gospel is about getting us to God. It's about getting us to God. You know, there was never a time, look all the way through the book of Genesis, and there was never a time that God grabbed a hold of Adam and said, Adam, someday, bud, I'm going to take you to this really cool place called heaven. You're really going to like it there. You know, I think Adam's response would have been, well, Father, why? 
why would you make me leave this place? More importantly, why would you make me leave you? I don't want to go to heaven. I want to be with you. See, that's what we were created for. We were created for God. Not because God was lonely. God has need of nothing. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He simply chose to show his glory. And this was God's plan from the beginning. God wanted to display his glory. He wanted man in his image, in his likeness. God created a fish and he didn't put him out in your parking lot. Where did he put him? He put him in the water. Why? Because in the water is the environment that that fish would thrive the best in. Not out in the parking lot. God created a polar bear. Where did he put him? In the Arctic. Why? Because he knew that's where the polar bear would thrive the best, the greatest. And when God created man, where did he put man? Garden of Eden? No, it has nothing to do with geography. God took and created man and he put him right next to himself. Because it is with God that you and I will thrive. That's the environment that he has for us. That's where, where for us, it doesn't get any better than that. For a trout, a clean mountain stream. For a polar bear, an ice cap filled with seals. For man, the presence of God. And what scares me is that most of the people that I talk to have no concept of why they consider themselves Christians. And then I have to ask, are they even Christians to begin with? Going through the motions, does that make you a Christian? You know, I can take you to all kinds of places in the New Testament where they talk about false converts. Good fish and bad fish, that parable in the same net, never separated, the wheat and the tares, the ten virgins, um, the sheep and the goats. Do you know that on that day when he was separating the sheep from the goats, the goats thought, hey, it's all cool, man, there's God. They were absolutely shocked when the Lord said to him, depart, whoa, 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 wait a minute, God. When were, Jesus, when were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When were we thirsty? See, they thought it's all good. They thought they were going to heaven. When were you imprisoned? When, when did this take place? Whoa, hang on, better explain this. They thought it was good. You think it's good? What about those guys in Matthew seven twenty one? Hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do all these things in your name? You know, if, if we heard that over at Castle Farms there was, 
some big name uh, schmo over there and he's laying hands on people and they're falling over and he's prophesying and people are being healed. We go, man, you got to go to church there because, because God is moving. Listen, none of those things even prove God's there. Lord, didn't we prophesy and cast out devils and do miracles? He said, depart from me. I don't even know you. Who are you? And yet, those are the very things that we seem to want the worst, the most. No, what we want is God. See, there there seems to be this common problem among churches, and, and that is people don't take ownership of the Great Commission. They don't take ownership of the gospel they don't take ownership in this microcosm of the family of god called the local church it's somebody else's job somebody else does it they don't see that what they do is ministry and that god himself set them in the body to do this ministry and to do it for his glory And to do it in the midst of His grace, not in our strength, but in the strength that He provides. And He's in that strength. He wants us with Him. And we're not volunteers. I hate that word, volunteer. Volunteers uh, implies that, that it's something outside of who we are. Like it's this extracurricular thing. Christianity is not a volunteer experience. It's who we are. It's not just the name of our religion. It's not even the name of our religion. It describes who we are. If you're a Christian, if you're a part of the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ came to serve, Not to be served. Regardless of circumstances. Regardless uh, of convenience. Regardless of whether they were going to push him off a cliff. Things were good or bad. Regardless if they wanted to make him king. He still came to serve. If you're a part of that body. Then that's your heart as well. And, I, and, and I'm sorry, but if serving is not in a person's heart, I have to ask, are you a Christian? Are you really a Christian? And, and, and don't separate your Christianity from serving. And don't make serving all about vacuuming the church. Serving goes well beyond what happens within these four walls. The first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. that's, That's number one. Number two is serve. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if those two things don't go together, am am I a Christian? Am I really a believer? Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people 
Come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There was no follow through. There was no change. Or, or faith, James, without works is dead. Faith, I love Jesus. Without corresponding works is not faith at all. It's a lot of hot air. It's, it's, it's dead. You say, Pastor Ted, man, you are, you are, what did your wife give you too much coffee this morning? What's up with you? No, I, I, I want to tell you something. This scares, and I'm, I'm going to say it, this scares the hell out of me. And I'm, I'm not swearing. I'm telling you, this scares the hell out of me. Because what we understand here is that this is the church. We understand an American church. Listen, what exists here for the church does not exist on the other side of the world in many places. Now, a lot of the cancer that has crept itself into the American church as another gospel is metastasizing on the other side of the world. I've been over on the other side of the world 18 times. And every time I go and I see that, I see that, that the wickedness of another gospel, as Paul called it, I see it taking hold in people's lives. And when I do, it just makes me sick. You say, well, you're, you're, you're coming on really strong. Yeah, I am because I'm scared. I'm scared. Because the Bible says it's a fearful thing, a terrible thing, to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm scared because Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Not, not grace, 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 grace. Do you know the church at one time used to be referred to as God-fearing people? We're not anymore. When was the last time you heard the church referred to as God-fearing people? No, we have t-shirts like, Jesus is my homeboy. What? In the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say God's name. Somebody responded to something that I put on the internet the other day. And uh, asked me, it was a picture of me in India, and asked, hey, Ted, where was this? And I clicked on his web, his web page. I don't ever go there. I know who he is. And at the banner at the top of his web page says, God effing loves you. And I went, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? that there would be such disrespect and disregard for the name of Jesus Christ that you would dare try to be relatable by speaking like that? Are you kidding me? Unfriend. I don't want to be associated with that. I, I, I don't want that to be... 
a part of my life. If you think I'm coming on hard, I'm just telling you what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5. This is a scary scripture. He didn't write this to uh, uh, Charlevoix uh, Bar and Grill or, or to the uh, high school in the area or to the gas station or to the Eagles Club or Kiwanis Club. But to the Corinthian church, he asked this question or he made this statement. Hey, you church guys, examine yourselves and see if you're even in the faith. So, I mean, you can be offended at me, but I didn't write it. I, I didn't write it. And I do this. I thank God, and I, uh, uh, quite honestly, I have a hard time believing that God just loves me with all my flaws. I, I do. I, I, sorry, I do. I know me, I know who I am, I know what I'm not, and it scares me. And I have to be reminded that Jesus Christ bore my sin upon the cross that I was crucified together with him that God justified me and the guarantee and the proof that that took place is the resurrection of the of the savior the completed work I've heard some Fathers in the faith. This is, might get me in trouble, but I've heard fathers in the faith say most of the people that go to our style churches aren't even saved. Wow. You, you know that my first time in India, and I probably said this before, I called my wife after the first week and I said, Vicki, if these people are what Christians are, then I'm telling you, I don't resemble them. I'm not even a Christian. I had never seen such absolute, sold-out, give-it-all, make-his-name-known people on the planet. And I came home, and it broke me for a year at least. I just wept. I quit doing radio and television and, and missions and conferences. I said, I'm not doing anything till I know that I'm doing it for the right reason because I am so prideful and so arrogant, I can't believe that God would even consider using me. And obviously, I'm not doing it for the right reason because there's a whole lot of me at the end of this story. Are we happy yet? With these things in mind, as quickly as I can, I, I want to go through four attributes of a Christian. Four things that should be evident in a Christian's life. And you have to do like Paul said and examine yourself. I, I can't do it. I got a tough enough time just examining me. 
when I'm confronted with the Word. But I'm going to give you four things that are common in the lives of believers. And if it's not there, then don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to Pastor Mike about it. Talk to the Lord. Talk to Him. See what He has to say. I know me, and I I can't figure out how God can love me, but I know that when my first son was born and I held him in my arms, man, there was a love that came there that I didn't even know existed. I held him in my arms. I'm going to tell you something. He was the ugliest child on the planet. His, he, I think he was overbaked. His nose was pushed off to the side. Had all these white little things on his nose. And I just wept as I held him and I loved him. This love came up. And you know, he had never called me dad. I taught my kids to say when they were growing up, I'd do something, buy him ice cream or something. I'd say, come on, boys, let me hear it. And they'd go, what a great dad. And this was before they ever said what it was. What a great dad. It's just there. And I, and I loved him unconditionally. I can't imagine that's how God loves me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't figure that. But Jesus, I can't figure it out. Four things that are common and and should be evident in the life of a Christian. Number one, they're humble. You can write these four words down. Number two, they treasure. Number three, they're broken. That's out of order. Number two, they're broken. Number three, they treasure. And number four, they speak. And if those four things are not there, please examine yourself and see if you're even in the faith. Examine yourself. See, who who teaches on humility anymore? And yet I'm going to tell you that of the two great themes in the Bible, love, the second one is humility. Because humility is critical for salvation. Humility is, is absolutely critical for the power of God to move in any area of your life. Humility says, I can't, but he can. Humility says, when I am weak, and man am I weak, he is strong. Look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. Who, in, in one person from each book, or well, yes, book, Who had the most demonstrable miracles that took place? Seen by the most people. Well, Jesus, obviously, New Testament. Who in the Old Testament? Moses. You know, fire at night, cloud by day. What's the common theme between their lives? Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Jesus said, I'm meek. And lowly of heart. Boy, that should give us a clue. 
Humble means having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. And in the, in the, in the case of Christianity, it, it is a zero estimate of one's importance. My wife, we started this Bible reading program back in November. It's, um, Vicki, who is that? Uh, Robert Murray McShane Bible reading program. It's really old. But you read through the Old Testament and you watch, you know, God says, don't do that. Oh, you did it. And they complained against Moses. And the ground opened up and swallowed them. Korah and his band. You know who went with Korah? His wife, his kids, and his possessions. Ground just opened up. God did that. We, we tell people the story about Noah and the ark. You want to give a kid nightmares? Tell him the story about Noah and the ark. God killed the whole world. On the day of the flood, can you see people clawing at that thing trying to get in? Well, Pastor Ted, that's the Old Testament. Yeah, he, re- he really mellows out by revelation, doesn't he? He just, uh, he said he's all good by the time he gets there. No, no, this is a God of consuming fire. See, without humility, which leads to repentance, there can be no salvation. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and he preached his sermon, and what happened? These guys were convicted in their hearts that they had killed the king of kings. They said those three words that every man struggles to get out of his throat... I was wrong because that takes humility. And then they said, what do we do? What do we do now, Peter, to be saved? What did he say? Repent. See, humility has to come first. No matter how much you think you're in control here on this earth, and you're not, You definitely don't rule eternity. And from a biblical God view, this is how God views man. Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I saw a little sign before church that said, Pastor Ted, just come and share your heart. You do not want to hear my heart. Because my heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? You do not want to hear my heart. You want to hear what God's saying. You want to hear His Word. We have forgotten about repentance we have forgotten about humility and yet this idea that we have a deceitful heart deceitful above all things desperately wicked we forgot that and this has to be a divine revelation because without Christ 
This is who we are. And I want to tell you something. With Christ, this is who we are. I, I was listening to, I think it was David Platt. Somebody asked him a question. You mean you don't trust your son to go into his room and look at the internet all by himself? And David Platt said, no, I don't. And I don't trust his dad either. Why? Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. Desperately evil. Hey, given a chance, given a chance, we're, we're going to take our hearts up on their opinions on things. You, you forget about Christ and what He has done for you. You're going to automatically go back to that default setting of, of a deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That, that's going to that's set in. When they ask you to serve, your heart's going to go right away. Ah, no, 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 football game, basketball game, it's uh, opening of bath season, uh, we've got relatives coming this weekend, can't do it. No, 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 your heart's going to jump right in there. You don't think you have a wicked heart? Wait until the next time somebody pulls out in front of you. Wait till somebody pulls out in front of you. Then, then as, soon as, as soon as you got that thing rise up, you can feel like there's red stuff going up your cheeks. Just think of this. Pastor Ted told me this would happen. That's because my heart is desperately evil. You forget about Jesus for one second. Somebody offends you. You see, we're all totally corrupt, evil, wicked beings all the way from the fall. And, and, and we don't deserve anything from God except His wrath. That's what we deserve. I don't deserve anything from God except His wrath. Well, how can you say that after what Jesus did? Well, what Jesus did was give me grace. He gave me grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. It is the gift of God, lest any man boast. What is the gift of God? Grace? No, grace and faith. Grace is the gift. Faith is the belief that it's ours by that gift. God gives us both. So number one, Christians are humble. Christians are humble. Romans 3, 10 and 12, put this in your notes because I want you to see how absolutely lost we are. None is righteous. Get the N words, would you? None is righteous. How many? No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. We don't deserve anything from him. So Christians are humble. We start demanding things of God. Command, demand. You stop it. Who do you think you are? Paul never said, I I command healing to my body in the name of Jesus. I'm claiming my promise. No, what he said is, Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh. I really hate this thing. And I wonder if you'd take it from me. And the Lord said, no, that thorn has a purpose. And my grace is sufficient for you. And even after that answer, it didn't take... Paul Paul asked two more times. And God told him the same thing. That that thorn has a purpose. What was the purpose? Well, because of your exceeding and great revelations. It's got to help you keep your feet on the ground. You've got to recognize it's not you, it's me. You can look that up later. A true believer has three other great basics and essentials that they shouldn't take as long. The first one is a believer is broken in heart and emptied of his own righteousness so as to detest himself. You say, wow, that doesn't sound right or good. Well, uh, Isaiah... He said, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple, and I freaked out when I saw him. I cried out to God, God, I'm an unclean man living among unclean people. I got unclean lips. Ah! And an angel sent by God took a coal with a big tongs, flaming coal, and he took it and he touched it to his lips. I'm not sure I'm going to sit still when somebody comes at me with a flaming coal. I was trying to roast a hot dog the other day and I was almost at my end. We say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, then there's that thing in Revelation where John on the Isle of Patmos saw the Lord and he fell down like he was dead. What happens when we see the Lord? What happens? I, I don't know. This is not heaven. This is, this is Michigan. And we don't live in the sweet by and by. We live in the nasty here and now. And so there are times when God kind of shows up and I want to just bury my head and go, God, and he goes, come on, kid, I love you just the way you are. Yeah, but I've had a terrible week. I knew that when I got you. I I knew there was a rattle in the rear end when I bought you. I knew your universal joint was about to fall out. I couldn't wait to make you mine. 
And He takes us and loves us. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. Lost means violently, completely perished, to be utterly lost, perished by experiencing a miserable end. And, and the problem, I'll tell you the problem with that verse, God's come to seek and save the lost, is we've heard it so much that we see it applying to other people and forget that it applies to us. Well, Pastor Ted, I am saved. Really? If, if you were on trial, you've heard it. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being saved? What really is the difference between uh, us and the world? Can the world see? We entertain ourselves with the sin that Jesus came to die for. Well, I don't. Really, how many Harry Potter fans we have in here? We watch television shows, and by the end of the show, we're rooting for the the bad guy, that uh, hoping he gets away. You know, like Ocean's Eleven, where those guys robbed the casino. We we were saying, yes, yeah, stick it to the man. Wait a minute, that's called coveting, thieving. How did we get sucked into that? We toy with sin. Oh, I don't. Really? No unforgiveness here? No greed, no gossip, no occasional porn? We talk against our leaders. The Old Testament ground opened up and swallowed them, but boy, we got grace. God understands. And from the world's perspective, we want what the world wants. We do what the world does. We live like the world lives. And the only difference between us and the world is we go to church on Sunday and have Christian bumper stickers. And that, my friend, is not a Christian make. Well, we have grace. God understands. Yeah, he does understand. That's why Jesus came and died I died a cruel death on the cross. I, I, I apologize if this is not the happy, clappy message that you were hoping for this Sunday. But I want to tell you something. I wrestled so hard with this thing because the Lord put this on my heart, not just for this church, but I'm going to preach this for the next three months in the churches I'm in. This just happens to be the first one because it scares me how many people don't even know what a Christian is. And I got the thing all done and then because I was going in another direction, this was just the beginning of it. And and I erased it all and and I recopied it and I said, I'm going to boil it down and get rid of that and go to my original subject. And I told Vicki, I can't get away from this. And no one in this room is going to be able to say, we never heard. Our prayer should be, Lord, break my heart with the things that break yours. Rather, without giving God a thought, we, we look at things we can get away with. If you pre-plan your forgiveness, you're, forgive, you're, you're in trouble. Well, I'm going to do this. I know God doesn't like it, but he'll forgive me. 
that's a dangerous place to live. Sorry. So number one, they're humble. Number two, they are broken in heart. Number three, they treasure. You see, grace is free. That's true. But grace is not cheap. It will cost you everything. They treasure. Christ Jesus is held as the only treasure in this world that will completely satisfy. It isn't Jesus and, it's just Jesus. You see, we, I, I started this with kind of an explanation of what Christianity is not. Christianity is not forgiveness. It is not heaven. It is not avoiding hell. It is not power over sin. It is not miracles. Now, all of those things are wonderful byproducts of Christianity, but they're not Christianity. They're not Christianity. What God wanted in the Garden of Eden, man in his image and likeness alongside him is what God still wants today. And if you don't believe me, go to 1 Peter 3.18 where it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. For what purpose? To bring us to God. That, that's... That's why we're Christians, so that we can go to God. Like, a, what's, what's good news for a fish that's out of water? Put them back in the water. What, what's good news for a polar bear that lives in Virginia? Send him back to the Arctic. Well, what's good news for a man whose sin has separated him from God? What's the gospel? Get him back to God. That's the gospel. Remember Jesus told the parable about the pearl of great price? Merchant goes on a buying, it sees this huge, wonderful pearl, goes back, sells everything he has so he can come back and possess that pearl. Jesus is that pearl. Remember the story about the man who finds a treasure in the field and he goes and sells everything he has and comes and buys that field so he can possess that treasure? Jesus is that treasure. Not the field. Jesus. Not heaven. Jesus. Do you know the only thing that makes heaven heaven? Is Jesus is there. This is the only thing that makes heaven heaven. Other than that, the descriptions of heaven to me sound like Saddam Hussein's castle. Gold-plated this and that, and big gates, big houses. That's not heaven. Heaven is where God is, where Jesus is. So, third, Christians treasure. What do you treasure? Do you know? What do you treasure? What's the thing that you got to have? What's the thing that makes you happy? You know that in His presence is fullness of joy. If this was full, full is full. You can't add anything else to it to make it fuller. In His presence is fullness of joy. 
So it's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. And this is what I used to tell our church in Iowa. If you can't be happy with Jesus and what you have, where you're at, you will never be happy with Jesus and what you think you need, where you think you need it. That is a hard statement. I used to ask myself that all the time. If nobody else comes to the church, Vicki, if we live in the same house, if we never make any more money, if I never go on another mission trip, can I be happy? With just Jesus, as if Jesus is a just. Last one, and, and I think this one is maybe one of the most telling. Christians, believers speak. Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. When was the last time you stood up for Jesus? When was the last time that you witnessed for him? Or a tougher question maybe, who are you currently discipling? Who, who are you discipling? Well, who said I have to disciple anybody? Jesus. Last thing he said, hey, you disciples, go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because that's his plan, his blueprint for building his church. He said, if you don't confess me before men, I'm not confessing you before the Father. And I have challenged pastors. Pastor, go back to your church. Sunday morning, pick four people at random or have them stand up. And ask them, just give me the first name of the person that you're discipling. And then tell them to sit down. I said, they will look at you like you are out of your mind. Because discipling is somebody else's job. Yeah, but I, I'm afraid of what people might say. They might get mad. Yeah, they might get so mad they go to hell. But that's not your fault. You want to be his disciple? Then he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Then you can be my disciple. If not, you're on your own. Ouch. You know, he said that to first century people who wanted to be a disciple. See, we, we look at deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, and we think that's like a special midweek class that we're going to have to go in deeper with Jesus. No, that was just Christianity 101. That was like, hey, you guys are following, just so you know, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, which means to refuse to associate with, take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow me, not your directions, but mine. Those were, I mean, you got to think that people who are following him going, who does this guy think he is? I'm not hanging out with this guy. And yet that was basic Christianity, Christianity 101. 
If you're not making disciples, are you a Christian? That, that's scary. That's a scary one for me. I, I got to tell somebody. Last story, and then I'm going to pray for you, and I'll, sh- I'll sit down and shut up. At the end of World War II, there were 50,000 Christians in China. At the end of World War II, all the Western missionaries who had been there for 100 years were kicked out, and the church was persecuted for 50 years. If you were caught meeting in his name, speaking his name, preaching his name, proselytizing or sharing your faith, you were thrown in prison and tortured. 50 years. 50,000 believers. You know, they're the most, more people in China than any other country. Over a billion. 50 years. You, I wonder how much of the church was left. Do you know that when that door opened up to China and we all went in there going, oh, we're going to have to start over. What could be left after 50 years of persecution of those 50,000 believers? What could be left? 50 million believers. 50 million believers. Why? Because every person who became a disciple took it as their personal responsibility to make disciples. I got a good book for you to read if you get a chance. It's called The Insanity of God. I heard somebody quoted at my son's church, and I got my, I mean, the hair on my back just stood up when he said the title, The Insanity of God. How dare you say that? But the, the quote was so good, I bought the book. And it is one of my favorite books. And will give you a picture into the persecuted church like you've never seen before. In fact, you can probably rent it. Part of it's out on video. Okay, four things. You remember what they are? They're humble. They're broken. They treasure. And they speak. Check yourself. See if you're even in the faith. If you think I'm preaching to you, you are so wrong. You are so wrong if you think I'm pointing a finger at you or preaching to you. This is my message. My message as in to me. And to every believer that calls on his name. You go to another church in another country and you're going to think you're on a foreign planet. Not that they're all perfect, they're not. But many of them know a God you and I are not even acquainted with. We don't know. Father, 
Lord, my prayer is that you break our heart with what breaks yours. That the Spirit of God would challenge every one of us as believers. Or if we're not believers, to become believers. Maybe there's people here today that are going, wow, he's talking, I didn't even know these things existed. I I didn't even know that this is what a Christian does. Lord, then you meet them where they're at. Maybe for some this is brand new revelation. Maybe for others it's a challenge to actually follow after their hearts. Not their hearts. Your heart. Lord, you love us so much. And you won't ever leave us alone. And Lord, there may be those here that know you, but didn't realize how vitally important it is to walk in obedience to your word when it comes to the Great Commission, making disciples, treasuring you above their boats and their fishing and their vacations. Our lawns. Jesus, help us. Lord, I believe we're that generation. We're that generation, that last day, not days, day generation. Lord, help us to be like you and not like the world. Lord, replace offense with humility, brokenness. Lord, help us to be like you. to live this life in the grace and the strength that you provide, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.